0: to you from the Forge of Freedom studio in the heart of America, a podcast dedicated to preserving freedom and inspiring personal success. Freedom is born and lives through you, the individual, and it dies in the shadows of tyranny, motivating our listeners to become well-rounded, freedom-minded people with the body of an athlete, the mind of a stoic, and the spirit of a warrior. The Tree of Liberty lives on through you. The Forge of Freedom. And now here's your host, Alex Uli.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Forge of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Alex Uli, and this is episode 85 of The Forge of Freedom. Today, I've got an article that I want to share with you by Jeffrey Tucker. Jeffrey Tucker, he's the founder, author, and president of the Brownstone Institute. And he's also the uh, senior economics columnist for the Epic Times, uh, the author of ten books, including Liberty or Lockdown, and thousands of of scholarly articles and, and popular press, and he speaks widely, of course, on on topics of economics, technology, social philosophy, and, and culture. and And Jeffrey Tucker is somebody that uh, I've been reading for a number of years. I actually started reading his content. I believe it was during law school, if not shortly before I began law school. And I really became interested in his work after I read an article that he had written called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Libertarians. And I I think you could easily adapt those habits and and say uh, highly effective people, highly effective Christians, highly effective uh, leaders, uh, etc. And and that article would be highly applicable. And I discussed that article in episode 48. Uh, But today I'm going to share another article of uh, Jeffrey Tucker's called Why We Love the Nutcracker. And uh, of course, it just seems timely to share this article because obviously with christmas coming around the corner it's friday as i'm recording this and of course the episode will be released on saturday just a couple of days before christmas and uh and i read this article and and just really enjoyed it uh and i, I thought that the listeners of this show might uh enjoy it as well so i i hope i hope you do uh with that with that being said let, let's get into the article here Jeffrey Tucker says, uh, many people this holiday season will experience the joy of attending a local performance of the Nutcracker Ballet by Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky. It's the most implausible American tradition imaginable, an import from fin de cycle, Russia, straight to your hometown. It's living proof of the capacity of music and the art of dance to leap the bounds of time and space and delight us forever and i mean forever there are many people who pay no attention to the arts and then get engaged during the holidays for this one event yes we wish it would be all year round but this is the reality and nothing to put down in the slightest perhaps some viewers own children will perform will perform in it and that's part of the appeal But there's more. Some reports suggest that this one ballet accounts for 40% of the annual revenue for professional companies. It's no wonder why. The music is brilliant, elegant, and vaguely familiar to everyone. It is out of copyright and therefore featured in countless ads. The melodies are filled with magic, fantasy, mystery, love, strange sounds you never otherwise hear, and unrelenting spectacle. And no matter how classical old world ballet is, it never ceases to amaze us to watch this highly specialized combination of athleticism and art in action. What theater goers don't entirely realize is that they are watching something even more wonderful than what they see. In this one ballet, we gain a picture of the prosperous world that emerged in the late 19th century was shortly shattered by war and revolution, and then was nearly killed off by the political and ideological experimentation of the 20th century. Think of it. This ballet debuted in 1892. The generation of Russians living in St. Petersburg that saw it for the first time was experiencing a level of prosperity never before seen in history. It was the same all over Europe of which Russia was considered a part. This was a time of the full maturation of the Industrial Revolution. Income was growing and dramatically. Lives were longer. Infant mortality was plummeting. The middle class could live in security and in comfortable homes. And the practical arts, electricity, lighting, telephones, universal medicine, indoor indoor plumbing, were in a boom phase. We see hints of all these themes in the opening scenes of The Nutcracker. We are in a home with a beautifully lit tree, and several generations of an extended family are celebrating the great season with abundant gifts. Gifts, that great symbol of abundance. There was enough not only for oneself, but also for others. And the more elaborate the gift, the more it illustrated the existence of prosperity and confidence in the future of prosperity. Think of the person of the nutcracker himself. He is a soldier, but not a killer, not a person destined for being maimed and killed or slaughtering others. A soldier in those days was a symbol of the nation, a protector and a well-dressed person of discipline and dignity who made the peace possible. He was an extension of regular society, society, someone performing a light duty deserving of extra respect. The gift of the nutcracker first breaks and the child cries, but then a magician arrives to put it back together again, and it grows and grows until it becomes real and then a true love. You can make any symbol out of this little man, but it is not a stretch to see it as a symbol of the civilized life of this nation and many other nations at the time. There was no limit to prosperity, no limit to peace. No end to the magic that could come to the world. Something that broke could be fixed and grow to new life. This was a world that celebrated cross-cultural exchange. It was an age before the creation of passports, and traveling the world and seeing it all was first becoming possible for many people. You could ride on ships and not die of scurvy. Trains could take people from place to place in safety. Goods crossed borders as, as never before. And multicultural sheik invaded arts and literature of all sorts. There was no managerial state, no one screaming about cultural appropriation, and no dominance of cursing whole groups for their identity. And hence, in the ballet, we see not only the famed sugar plum fairies, but also Arabian coffee dancers, Chinese tea dancers, Danish shepherdesses, and of course, Russian candy cane dancers, along with a beautiful array of fantasy figures. Here's a vision of a time and a place. It was not just Russia. In The Nutcracker, we gain a vision of an emerging world ethos. I first realized that the late 19th century was really different following a binge reading of several plays by Oscar Wilde, several novels by Mark Twain, a biography of Lord Acton, an essay on capital by William Graham Sumner, and a few Victorian Gothic thrillers. A theme began to emerge that has haunted me ever since. What do all these works have in common? It wouldn't seem like much, but once you see it, it is not possible to read this literature the same way. The key is this. None of these writers, and this goes for Tchaikovsky himself, could have imagined the horror That was unleashed by the Great War. The killing fields, 38 million ended up dead, wounded, or missing, were inconceivable. The concept of a total war that did not exclude the civilian population, but rather made everyone part of the army, was not in their field of vision. Many historians describe World War I as a calamity that no one in particular intended. It was a result of states pushing out the boundaries of their belligerence and power, a consequence of leaders who imagined that the more they pushed, the more they could create a globe of justice, freedom, and peace. But look at the reality of the mess they made. It was not only the direct carnage, it was the ghastly possibilities this war opened up it inaugurated a century of central planning, statism, communism and fascism, and war. How could they have known? Nothing like this had ever happened. And so this late 19th century generation was innocent and delightfully so. To this generation, the injustices they intended to purge from the world were slavery, remnants of the bondage of women, the perpetuation of feuds and duels, the despotism of the monarchical class, debtors' prisons, and the like. What what they could not imagine was the much vaster injustice that was just around the historical corner, mass use of poison gas, universal enslavement of wartime draft, famine as a war tactic, the gulag, the holocaust, mass incineration at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. This is a particularly interesting fact given Russian history. What are the institutional features of the Nutcracker Ballet? Faith, property, family, security. Following Russia's disastrous involvement in World War I, resulting in horrible death and economic ruin, there was a revolution in 1917, one designed to overthrow despots and replace them with something completely new. The party that took control ruled under the pretext of ideological communism. And of what did that consist? Opposition to faith, property, family, and the very bourgeois life that is so celebrated in the ballet. If you look at the demographic data following the October 1917 revolution, you see calamity. Income fell by half. Life expectancy became static and fell. It was total wreckage, exactly what you would expect if you tried to get rid of property and attack the voluntary society. At its core, many decades of communist rule in Russia gutted the country of the life and joy that this ballet puts on display. None of us were there but those who were told stories of terrible things. It was a wholesale looting of all the progress that Russia had experienced until that point in its history. The experience also unleashed a dominance of munitions manufacturers in the UK and US the beginnings of the modern military industrial complex in addition to previously unthinkable controls on the civilian population including censorship cens- censorship and witch hunts over political affiliation this coincided in the us with what amounted to a revolution against liberty the income tax the 17th amendment that bi- abolished the bicameral congress and the federal reserve that was deployed to fund the murderous war. What's beautiful about The Nutcracker is that we see none of it. This ballet was created in that great time of innocence when all the world foresaw a beautiful future of unstoppable and unending peace, prosperity, and justice. Here's what else moves me about this ballet. Fully formed and just as wonderful as ever, it has leapt over the century of statism, The century of bloodshed and mass murder by states and also the global evil of lockdowns that destroyed so much and is presented to us right now in our hometown we can sit in our lovely arts centers and drink it all in and smile wide smiles for two solid hours we can share in this vision of that generation we never knew we can dream that dream too i would never say That the time in which this ballet came to be was a naive time no it was a time of clarity when the artists inventors intellectuals and even statesmen saw what was right and true the themes of the nutcracker a culture of free association gift giving personal and material growth spiritual reflection and artistic excellence dancing and dreaming can and should be our future We need not repeat the blunders of the past, the wars, horrors, and lockdowns. Rather, we can make a new world with a new theme as joyful as the melodies that have again enraptured millions in this holiday season. In the last century, and then again in this century, the gift of the nutcracker broke. It is shattered beyond recognition today. In many countries of the world, including what we used to call the free world, in the remainder of this century, it is up to us to put that beautiful toy back together again. So that's the end of the article there by by Jeffrey Tucker. I I, I just love his writing style, his ability to sort of weave these concepts of... uh, history and, and art and music and personal responsibility and sort of the, the values that we, we aspire to and to weave all those things together, uh, and to bring out the context, uh, not just the, the nutcracker in isolation, but the, the context in which the play was, was developed, uh, or the ballet rather and and i agree with jeffrey tucker that that the nutcracker is a story that can teach us valuable lessons about life it's a story about about hope and love and, and the power of imagination uh, it it's a reminder that even in the darkest of times there's always always something to believe in and i think that's incredibly important because uh Lawrence Reed, who is the president emeritus at at FEE, uh, the Foundation for Economic Education, says that he's hopeful because that's the only option. The alternative is cynicism, is despair, and that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Hope and optimism are the only option to achieve a better world and and i also agree with with jeffrey tucker here that the, the nutcracker is an important part of our our holiday tradition which is why you know i'm sharing it now it's a story that can bring us joy and hope um even in the midst of difficult times and and in the middle of winter uh just yesterday was the the winter solstice which marks the the, the shortest day of the year in terms of daylight and it's this uh basically time that i take to reflect that there's more light to come throughout the year this is the darkest of days throughout the year and there's reason for hope there's more light to come so thank you for for joining me today i i hope you enjoyed the article for jeffrey tucker which of course i'll i'll link to in the show notes Uh, The article was at Brownstone Institute, uh, and it's uh, brownstone.org, and I'll link to the the specific URL, like I said, in the show notes. I will have an episode coming out uh, for Monday Gun Day, which just happens to fall on Christmas this year. It's a conversation I had with uh, Clayton Kramer about his book, Lock, Stock, and Barrel, The Origins of American Gun Culture. Um, I recorded that, that episode earlier this week and it's, it's scheduled to come out Monday, like I said, but please don't uh, let that episode get in the way of spending time with your, your family. I I hesitated to, to release it on Christmas day, but uh, of course people can listen to it at their, at their pleasure, at their leisure uh, but if you have some time to check it out while you're you're getting ready to, to head out to family gathering or, or wrapping some gifts at the last minute, uh, I'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, Clayton has an amazing grasp of, of history and the context around American gun culture, and, and I think you'll enjoy the discussion. He's a he's a historian. He's a, also written many uh, declarations and, and scholarly articles and, and books, uh, and he's been very busy recently writing uh, expert declarations in cases circulating around the federal courts nationwide. So it's interesting to hear him talk about his book and, and the other work that he's got going on. So uh, don't forget to to check that out Monday. Keep an eye out for that. As Christmas and the New Year approach, I, I also want to take just a moment to express my gratitude for all of you. Uh, you know, the, the reason I started this podcast earlier this year uh, was sort of a multifaceted, uh, but part of it was to hold myself accountable to, to sort of reflect and think about these ideas, these principles that we hold so dearly and, and to sort of build my own character so that I can be the, the person that I, I'm hoping to inspire inspire you to be. Uh, you know, the, the person that we talk about, uh, like we talked about with Lawrence Reed, are we good enough for liberty, that that person of, of character? Uh, or like we talked about uh, during the Stoicism episode or the episode about Aristotle's Twelve Virtues. Uh, those are things that I don't always live up to, uh, that w- we all for- fall short of. From time to time, and uh, so it's a, a way to be accountable to to myself and, and to you and to to each other. And I I hope that this can this podcast can continue, and we can sort of build a, a community around each other that fights for freedom and and fights for a better world. And of course, that starts with with us, with each of us individually. Uh, so your your support means the world to me, and and thanks. To you that we can have, it's thanks to you that we can have these conversations and and explore meaningful topics together. And and I always appreciate any feedback that I get in the comments or on social media. Uh, So as we we celebrate Christmas, I wish all of you a, a season filled with joy and laughter and love. So until next time, Merry Christmas. And remember, you are the Forge of Freedom.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Forge of Freedom. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with Alex, you can go to forgeoffreedom.com or follow him on Twitter at Forge of Freedom. Until next time, remember, you are the Forge of Freedom.